If you like to gamble, I tell you I'm your man. You win some, lose some, it's all the same to me. Hello and welcome to another episode of the official Motorhead podcast, The Motorcast. I am your host, Howard H. Smith. You may know me as lead singer with UK thrash band Acid Rain. You may also know me from my own podcast, Talking Bollocks. You can find those podcasts by just clicking on my name in the description of this podcast, which is also a hidden link. Exciting stuff, eh? Well, my job for you today is purely to be your curator, your guide through the world of all things Motorhead. And that world is about to expand slightly because, yep, in case you didn't already know, following on from last year's Ace of Spades reissues comes the 40th birthday of the very first live album to ever enter the UK charts at number one, You got it. My favourite fact of all, Motorhead's No Sleep Till Hammersmith. Now, to celebrate this, there are some fantastic deluxe editions coming out, right? There's going to be hardback books in uh, 2CD and triple LP format, plus a deluxe 4CD box set featuring all three shows that made the recording of No Sleep uh, and never before released in their entirety. So you are going to have history in a box, okay? Um, also included is the story of the album, lots of unseen photos, and a, you know a ton of era-specific treasures. It is the usual absolute beautiful job that these guys have done. I mean, I, I, I love being able to bring you news like this because I know the people who listen to this podcast are, well, I should say motorcast, shouldn't I? You are all massive diehard fans. And I know a lot of you are collectors, you're completists, you're huge fans. Um, If you're listening to this, you're definitely, definitely going to love these 40th anniversary editions. So get yourself over to imotorhead.com where you can find out all about it, where to get them, all available from all your usual stockists. And, And of course, make sure you've also subscribed to this podcast. Wherever you're listening to this, there will be a button that says subscribe. Go on, go ahead and click it. And when you do, that is all of your work done. Every fortnight there will be a new episode of the Motorcast dropping into your podcast player and that is all you have to do. Just subscribe. And while you're about it, why not share with another person that you know would enjoy it. Now, let's get on with this episode. This is, as always, a cracker. Um, It is with a guy I have known for many, many years, the legendary metal journalist Malcolm Dome. So legendary, he is credited as the man that created the term thrash metal. He was the first man to put it in writing, so that's impressive enough. Uh, Malcolm and I had a chat. All things Motorhead are covered, and it's coming up for you right now. What was your first kind of association with Motorhead? When did you become aware of them? Um, supporting Blue Oyster Cult at Hammersmith Odeon in October 75. It was the first time I'd heard them. Right. I, I, I missed their, their literally their first ever show supporting Greenslade at the Roundhouse. I saw them at um, Hammersmith. And it was one of those situations, I knew nothing very much about them. I'd seen one very bad review they got opening for our Greenslade. 
I thought, oh, Lemmy was in Hawkwind. That should be quite interesting. I'll go and check the support bands out. And I, I did see them that night, and the sound they had was terrible, but there was something about them that made me think, I do quite like what they're doing, even though it sounds nothing like Hawkwind. Well, that's that, and and that is quite um, that's quite an irony. Bearing in mind that the first place you saw him was, you know, was Hammersmith Odeon, and then mm. years later, um, no sleep till Hammersmith was going to come out, become the first ever live album to go straight in at number one. Number one, yeah. Um, and and an iconic live album to this day. Oh, it will always remain an iconic, like one of the greatest live albums ever made. I think the disappointment in the way is that it's such a shame that. Um, that they didn't actually put it out as a double at the time, but decided to cut it down for a single album. Yeah, um, I, I, well, I've got to admit, I'm in the camp of of, of younger, uh, slightly younger uh, fans, and we, d- uh, you know, I wouldn't have been able to afford a um, a double. Oh no, fair but, enough. Yeah. But I definitely had the um, I had the uh, the the single, um, and it was it was kind of legend amongst uh, amongst everybody. You know, it was like, oh no, this is. This is the greatest live album of all time, you know that and Live Evil. It was just always, you know, neck and neck. Well, there's just so many great live albums. I mean, you can put Kiss Alive in there, Strangers in the Night, Live and Dangerous, Made in Japan, I've got Live at Budokan. There are just so many cracking live albums. Most, but no sleeps up there. No question about it. It's definitely one of the best ever made. Yeah, and um, I, look, an impossible question to ask, but, you know, why is that? Help me, Malcolm. Oh, why? I'll tell you why. I know exactly why. Rapport. If, what makes a live album work is the rapport between the band and the audience. The band are playing really well. The audience are electrified by it. Give back an energy to the band. It raises the band's quality another 5% or something, which translates back to the audience, and that's what you get on that album. That real rapport which, and connection between band and audience. And that's what makes any great live album work. And it's there. I mean, they, they were playing really, really well. The audience were up for it. They felt the audience were up for it. So it made them even more determined to drive forward. I think that's the connection. This connection. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's, but that's, some, and that's something that, that Motorhead had from day one. Well, I say day one, you were there at gig two or three, and as you said, they had a terrible sound, but there was still something about them. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's always something about Motorhead, that they had something about... Definitely, I mean, obviously, Lemmy's a huge part of it. You you can't... I mean, he is Motorhead, or was Motorhead. Uh, But, I mean, that lineup at the time, okay, it wasn't the the classic lineup as we know and love them, but they still had a lot of drive to them. Larry Wallace was a very good guitarist, and Lucas Fox was a more than decent drummer. So they already have the, the genesis and germ of something which would go on to become what we know and love as Motorhead. Yeah, and I guess, you know, around those times, they must, despite the sound not being great that first time, there must have been a, a kind of certain part of you which was like, right, yeah, they're definitely doing something interesting. I, you know, I want to, I want to a better sound I want a better chance at that music oh god yeah absolutely the, the songs stood out but they definitely had good strong songs anthems and uh, they had that edge to them obviously this was when punk was just starting to rear its head and uh, they had that edge and energy to them and that obviously appealed to the punk audience as well and that's the great thing about Motorhead is you can't define them by their audience because their audience was full of different tribes if you, if you want to put it that way but yeah, there was certainly something that night made me think I want to see them again, definitely. 
And um, and when um, No Sleep came out, um, do you? Re- I mean, do you remember? Like, you know, were you, was that an album that you were reviewing? Were you kind of, you know, I were you inside the industry at those days? <clears throat> yes, I did review it for um, Hot Press in Ireland, which you believe right. they asked me <laughs> to, to review. Them. And yes, I, I did actually. I remember raving about how great it was. And you know, it's one one of the best live albums I've ever heard, and it's an album that really just actually capture what motorhead are all about the essence of motorhead and that's interesting because you say that you know it, it, even at the time you said look this is one of the greatest live albums i've ever heard and here we are you know a couple of years later let's be honest yeah and <laughs> and and it and it still it still sits up there now was it really was it that good when you heard it that you would have thought it had that kind of longevity that it would give birth to 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 so much well, there are certain albums you listen to at the time and you love at the time, but somehow you know they're going to wane over a period. And there are other albums you listen to at the time and you know, you know that their quality is never going to diminish and their impact is never going to actually be undermined. And No Sleep was one of those albums you just knew was going to last, absolutely knew was going to really drive forward and make this band special, which it did. Oh, yes, Ace of Spades obviously being a huge album for them. Uh, and Bomber and so forth and Overkill but this was the one that really captured what they were and who they were and you just knew at the time this was going to really last Yeah and it was that um, it, it was that lineup as well I mean you know we've we, we I've, I've talked to a lot of people about Ace of Spades and, and a lot of people about Motorhead are you are you in that camp of it was the definitive lineup? Yes but I've also got to add the caveat but I think that uh the Phil Campbell, Mickey D, Lemmy lineup was excellent as well. Yeah, uh, but but yeah. I mean, let's face it. I mean, I remember talking more than once to Lemmy and decrying the fact that why is the audiences only want to hear the old stuff? I think our new stuff's as good as our old stuff. But the band were defined by Bomber, Ace of Spades, Overkill. Those albums, the first Motorhead album, they, those are the albums that really defined their sound, defined their heritage, and that was done by the classic lineup. So I would say it's definitely the classic lineup, but I think it's unfair to dismiss what happened afterwards as being irrelevant because they have made some really good albums since. Well, I think I think that's a great a great point. There is that it's it's maybe um, it's maybe better to call it the the classic lineup as opposed to the best lineup because mm. there's to, to my mind there is three major um, you know lineups. There's the there's this lineup. There is then the five piece with with Wurzel. Um, and and then back down to a three for yeah it was you know four pieces with Russell sorry yes there. four piece yeah. five piece they never had the keyboard there <laughs> <laughs> thank you very well yeah it's it's being a singer you see as soon as I think there's two guitarists that must be that must mean there's five <laughs> no, of them fair, fair enough yeah <laughs> I've, I've, yeah. I've weaseled my way out of that quite well <laughs> yeah well done well done yes, thank- you did that brilliantly I'm very impressed with that <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, but I, I mean, and they were just such a such a unique band. But also, I just think, I don't know. You when you look at that, when you look at their career, um, I think the live album for for me, I think it was a, a sort of touch of genius because you look at it and yeah. it's it's quite early in the career. But someone somewhere said, "Look, Ace of Spades has been absolutely brilliant. The tour has been brilliant. It's taken everyone by surprise. Let's." You know, even even if we only, you know, if we if we put it out and everybody who went to the went to the gigs buys it, it's gonna sell. 
So oh, you know, let's yeah. get it out there. I think it, it, it. I think it was a brilliant idea. Oh, it's a great idea. Whether it was done uh, to capture what they were about, because I thought let's get something else out, and uh, we can do it cheaply by putting a live album out. Who knows? Probably a bit of both. I think. Yeah, and great idea. Yeah, and also I think from from a label perspective as well, they love doing this kind of thing because it 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 um it kind of heads off at the pass people um wanting straight away wanting another studio album. It buys it buys everybody a bit of time. It it does absolutely, and it it was of course a brilliant move. Look at it, (laughs) look what it did, look what it's become over the years. As you said, the uh, an iconic album. Yeah, and and quite rightly too. And I also think that, um, like I said, probably with Sabbath's Live Evil, it's probably the one of two standout live albums of its generation. Straying here into uh, classifying Motorhead albums in with metal albums, where do you stand on the uh, the, the eternal debate? Well, I, I think well, nobody actually knows Motorhead better than Lemmy. And what did he always say? We are Motorhead, we play rock and roll. I mean, Lemmy never saw Motorhead as metal or rock. He saw Motorhead as a rock and roll band. And they are a rock and roll band. So I'm with him on that. (laughs) Uh, I don't think that... I think they appeal to metal fans and to punk fans and to rock fans and, let's say, to some pop fans. But really, it's rock and roll. That's what they are. That's what they always were. And if you listen to their songs, the essence of their songs is definitely rock and roll. So that's where I am. (laughs) Right, yeah. Uh, Well, as you said, you you can't really... Um, crosswords with Lemmy on this one, can you? I mean, no. if anyone's I mean, going to know, Lemmy. he's going to know. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the fact that I think their audience grew up around being, you know, the Motorhead bangers in the early days was certainly more metal than anything else. I think it was because they were so loud and energetic. Uh, but, and then, when you think about it, when Motorhead first started to emerge, there was no such thing really as heavy metal. I and mean, even Sabbath were called heavy rock rather than heavy metal. It was only with priests when metal really became the term. So I, I think even in that respect, you have to say, yeah, they are, like ACDC, they appeal to a lot of metal and rock fans, but they play rock and roll. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm... I'm... I've, I've spoken to a few people and a lot of people have said that whilst whilst grateful for the name check, Lemmy often struggled with 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 stuff like Slayer and and you know like how does this translate to to what we do yeah. at all I, I don't I don't get where they you know where where they got an influence from us from well yeah I mean I think Lemmy was um, puzzled sometimes by uh, you know the fact that he was hero worshipped by Thrash fans and Thrash bands and they saw him as an icon uh, but I think he, he graciously as he did with everything else he graciously accepted the situation so okay not quite sure I'd get it, but fine, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take what I can get. Um, yeah. And uh, did you um, did you interview Lemmy many times over the years? Yes, many times over the years. I'm happy to say. And uh, he was always a fascinating character because, um, on the one hand, uh, Lemmy was um, capable of being very taciturn and very dour and monosyllabic. I mean, a few times interviewed him, and it was clear he didn't want to do interviews that day. He'd rather be out drinking and playing fruit machines. And he'd be, he was polite, but he was very curt with his answers. He'd ask him something, and he'd give the shortest answer he possibly could. Uh, and there were other times he couldn't stop him talking. And that was my experience. Not, I know it's not just my experience. Other people have said the same thing. It depends what mood he's in at the time. If he was due to do a round of interviews on a day, didn't feel up to it. He was still being the professional he was. Go through with it, but he did. 
He made it obvious he'd rather be somewhere else. But if he was in the mood, you couldn't stop him talking. He was great. That's brilliant. Uh, well, I, funnily enough, I've um, I've recently spoken to um, to uh, a long-time publicist, um, and and he he said that he knew how to get the best out of Lemmy, which is if the record label said, right, you've got three days of uh, of press. He'd he'd come he'd come in. They say, look, right, the label doesn't need to know about this, but you know you're going to do two days of press, and on yeah. this day you can go out and meet so and so, and you can have a few beers and play some fruit machines. But I need you on two of those yeah. three days. Yeah. And 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 he just said he's good as gold, you know, absolutely. Uh, yep. Um. And and I think. You know that is that that it's a mark of the man, isn't it? You know there was no there was no um, there was no roots put down. There was no property ever bought. He always rented. He he, he was led a nomadic existence to a certain to a certain mm. extent. Um, but also, it's just he could he never could um, kind of. I, I get the feeling that he, he could never um, really get get to grips with doing as he's told. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Let me like to do what he what he did. He liked his uh, his own space. Let me like to you know indulge in what he was interested in, which was quite wide ranging. And um, he didn't like to be tied down. I, I do recall that um, there was, when he first moved to America, he was interviewed on the radio show uh, by a British. I can't remember who it was now. You know, whoever the interviewer was said to him, "Why the earth did you move to America? You're British." And then his answer was brilliant. He just said, "So are you suggesting?" Wherever I was born, that's where I should spend my life. So if I were born in an aeroplane, I'd spend my life flying around the world and not landing. And the interviewer just sort of, yeah, okay, <laughs> move on. Brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Do you? I think, it, it was a classic. Do you know? Uh, do you know the interviewer, or was that? Uh... No, I, I don't. I just, I just heard it. I, I right. can't actually remember who the interviewer was. It was a, one of those um, local radio rock shows, I think. Right, but let me just push it back and basically say, "Go on, then get out of that one." Yes, this. and the guy was, "Yeah, right." <laughs> well, that was Lemmy. Lemmy was incredibly intelligent and articulate and well read. Well, it, apart uh, from a buffoon. Yeah, well, this is what I hear from so many people. So many people describe you describe you know their their memories of Lemmy. Uh, uh, there's always a memory of him with his with his nose stuck in a book. Oh, Lemmy loves reading. Very well read, uh, articulate. Um, I mean, people were always going about, who's, oh, God, he must have been a Nazi, all that memorabilia collection. No, no, he wasn't a Nazi whatsoever, not even close. He was just fascinated by that era and collected memorabilia. Yes. But he, he was someone who was very well read on the subject. And actually, uh, I do remember somebody telling me that he uh, they watched a documentary, a World War II documentary with him, and he was correcting what was in the documentary. On the, on the, in the narrative, basically, and they got that wrong. They got this wrong. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 I mean, everybody's um, sort of told tales of um, of him almost being his happiest when he's reading. Yeah. You know, um, even in a packed dressing room where everybody's, you know, everybody's having a good time, having a few drinks, catching up, and and there's Lem over in the corner with his, with his head in a book. Yeah, you know. I mean, you love doing that. And to be fair, Aussie. Does the same. Ozzy loves reading as well. I mean, people see Ozzy as a, 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 a lovable buffoon, but again, he's not an idiot. And these people do have a reputation. Oh, they must be buffoons because of the way they behave and the fact they drink a lot and take drugs. Uh-uh. And Lemmy was certainly far from that. 
Yeah, and he also Lemmy was um was a, was a pioneer. I mean, you know, when I when I first got into the rock slash metal scene as a kid in the um you know yeah. in in the eighties, um there was basically no women on the scene at all, um uh, and unless. Mo- unless Motorhead were performing with them, you know, there was, there was yeah. Wendy o. Williams. It was girls' school. Lemmy always seemed to go out of his way to be to be inclusive as well. Absolutely, I mean, Lemmy was very supportive of girls' school. He wanted them on the tour uh, when they first started uh, because he wanted to give them a chance to be seen by people, not because oh, look at that fancy one and get them on their own to shag. Now, now, Lemmy was that. Uh, this is a really good band. I really want to see them put out in front of people. He did the same with Twisted Sister. Let's not forget that. Oh, yeah. I mean, when they played at Reading, and Twisted always said they owed Lemmy so much. Uh, Lemmy came on stage and basically said, This lot of, fa- of friends of mine, I love this band. I want you to give them a chance. And that was it. He got that, uh, that was the, the audience were on the um, Twisted Sister side after that. Yeah, They've never forgotten that. It's it's um it's a bit of a yeah it's a bit of a legendary moment for um uh, for Twisted Sister, and I think uh, th- this is the thing with Lemmy. He's like even going back all those years, you know, your uh, Motorhead weren't that you know they weren't that established themselves, but no. but Lemmy just seemed to be a tastemaker. He seemed to have, you know he seemed to always seem to have so much authority. Um, yeah. And I, I guess that just comes from the fact that he was just so genuine. Uh, absolutely. And I think people have a huge respect for Lemmy and for his musical taste. And if Lemmy said, we should listen to it, we'll give it a chance. And he did that with... I mean, he wanted to work with Wendy O. Williams because he, he loved the plasmatics and the attitude that they had and the musicality that they had. And the fact they chose to do Stand By Your Man is just hilarious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And very, um, and very Lemmy as well. Oh, absolutely. Very, very Lemmy. But let's not forget that Lemmy grew up with rock and roll. Yeah. He was the first generation really to grow up with rock and roll. And that coloured his musical aspects and taste. So I remember seeing um, Headcat, his band with Slim Jim, uh, play at the garage in London about 10 years ago. And you could tell they're on stage doing rock and roll songs, um, covers, and also their own stuff. And Lemmy looked like they were having the time of his life. He loved it. Yeah, just do, uh, just doing something a bit different. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And um, well, that was Lemmy. Lemmy wasn't a, a monochrome man. He was a multi-dimensional, multi-coloured, and uh, was fascinated. But I think by music, I mean he loved the Beatles. Absolutely loved the Beatles. Again, yeah. it's sort of uh, maybe you'd look at it as sort of, um, and. Uh, I think, ooh, Lemmy uh, likes the Beatles. How can that happen? No, Lemmy loves music. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ozzy's Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy's another huge fan, isn't he? He's the he's the guy that says, you know, well, yep. if it wasn't for the oh, Beatles, yeah. I wouldn't be into music. Yeah, absolutely. And what people forget is that you know these icons were beginning to get into music themselves. The Beatles were huge, absolutely massive. And we're colouring everything, and these people listen to the Beatles. Wow, I want to be like that. Yeah, that, it's it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, but so, I mean, so far as Lemmy was concerned, it all came down to the love of rock and roll, and that's where everything was born for him in terms of performing. And if people wanted to call him metal, okay, punk, okay, but I'm really rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah, and he and and he's and he's, he stuck to that to the very end as well. I mean, the, the 
it, it, it's it's strange because you know because they were so loud and so abrasive that mm. they that they were welcomed into the metal scene and and many metal bands you know and and punk bands for that matter cite them as an influence. Yes, um, But as you say, everything everything has a genesis and it comes from somewhere. Mm. And and at the heart of Motorhead, I guess is is rock and roll. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I, I I don't know if you talked to Phil Campbell or Mickey D in terms of. Um, whether they saw Motorhead as a, a, a rock and roll band, I don't know what they'd say. I think they'd probably say yes, because Lemmy says yes. <laughs> Which is fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, no, I, th- I, I think you might be right, actually. I think you might be right. Um, I mean, um, funnily enough, I just... I've just had a flashback for some reason when um, I've just remembered... I don't know if you had this. Um, I had um, No Sleep Till Hammersmith um, mm. on, I think, Gold Vinyl... Or it, yeah, I think it was gold vinyl. And I, I think, think you're right, actually. Do you know what? I think everybody had it on gold vinyl. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying to remember. I'm thinking. I remember thinking I'd got something rare, and it just turned out that everybody had it. Uh, <laughs> that's the way. Yeah. It, 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 it's the way it works out. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm sure it was one of those. It was one of those like you know early albums that was like freely available on a coloured vinyl. And it was just, yeah, we everybody was like, you know, comparing copies around at a party. And it's like, hang on, has anybody got any black vinyl? You know, <laughs> no, that became the rarity. <laughs> yes, yeah, as it would. Um, but it, it, was there a, you know, at the time, at the time that album came out, was there any sense of kind of like, you know, shock or or, or sort of amazement that all of a sudden this album had turned up at number one? I think people were a bit surprised. I think everybody expected it to do very well, top ten. But the fact he went in at number one was, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. And, of course, Motor had then joined um, ACDC as being, oh, people say, oh, I don't like heavy metal apart from Motorhead and ACDC. <laughs> they became trendy in a way. And let's yeah. not forget, it, sold, it went gold in the UK, sold over 100,000 copies. Oh, those were the days, eh, Malcolm? Oh, yes, happy days when... Albums were selling record, lots of copies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I remember that that um, No Sleep hung around on the um, uh, on the charts for for quite some time. It wasn't a sort of you know in at number one the first no. week and then disappeared. It, I mean, no. it was even at the time, as you said, it's one of the greatest live albums I've ever heard. I think at the time, everybody just went, "Wow, right." And even people, and and this is. This is maybe more of an indicator of the time than the actual band, mm. but it's probably quite amazing amazing for people who weren't around at the time to think that no no sleep till Hammersmith will have been some people's first motorhead purchase, as in they wouldn't have known a studio album before that. They'd have mm. got no sleep because they'd heard a couple of tracks off it, or they'd yes. been at a party and heard it, and and their first the first album they might they, they might buy a motorhead would be a live album. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, that live album suddenly made Lemmy certainly a personality, some you know, celebrity. You know, people wanted him on the TV shows and people wanted to talk to him in, in the national press and so forth. Suddenly, oh, look at this. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it, it's amazing. And, and I think um, also on that tour, you, you sort of saw that that was, that was what, that Motorhead were going to become a real live force. Not that they weren't already, but you could see the foundations of a long career. Yeah, well, yes. 
Uh, I, I think at that point people knew most of who weren't going away. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they, they were in for the long haul. The sad thing is that you know, things went wrong with the next studio. I'm mean, this. That's when Eddie got fed up with the fact that Lemmy was working with Wendy O and blah, blah, blah. So in a way, um, No Sleep marked the end of the, the classic era, even though there was one more album to come. Yeah, yeah, and and it's, it, it, I mean, it's something that a lot of people have touched on that I've spoken with, that really the the, the peak for that lineup was 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 the Ace of Spades album, um, and it was it was the first album where everything came together. Uh, well, yes, uh, but then again, I think it was a case of, um, you know, you know what, uh, we had this fantastic raft of albums from this amazing band, and we should be grateful for what we have, not the fact that it ended. And uh, in a way, I'd, I'd love to think it should have ended with no sleep because Iron Fist, although it's good, wasn't really that good. It wasn't comparable really to what they'd done with Overkill, Bomber, Ace of Spades and No Sleep. So No Sleep really should have marked the end of that golden period. Maybe it went one album too far. But that's yeah. only a personal opinion. Well, yeah, but you know what? There'll be, there'll be people listening to this who like Iron Fist. There is always, there is always, no, no, I don't you know. think that Iron Fist is a bad album. But when you think about the fact that you have that raft of four albums in a row for, you know, Overkill Bomber, Ace of Space, No Sleep, all brilliant records, and Iron Fist is good. Yes. So it was a step down, even though it's not a bad album by any stretch of the imagination. Well, the, and and there you go. That that's that that is the you know the, the that's the danger of putting out great albums all the time. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. Um, but, but I mean, I, they have their own fantastic run. Yeah, absolutely, and um, and also to 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 come back and kind of you know in in different car, in different incarnations of the lineup and and constantly keep mm. moving, keep progress, keep progressing. Um, you know, and, and keep putting out great albums over the years. Oh, I, I mean, I think that um, Orgasmatron of 1916 are excellent records in their own right. Uh, and then in later years, I, I think, for, certainly from Motorizer on, the last four albums they did are all really strong. Yeah, yeah. And um, and that, that, you know, the, the final lineup as well um, of, of, of the three of them, that... That really seemed to um, that really seemed to gel and and become really yeah. you know I, 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 probably the second most established lineup really. Well, absolutely. Well, actually, in terms of longevity, it was the longest lasting lineup they had. Wow, really? Uh, yeah, it's definitely the longest lasting Motorhead album, uh, the Motorhead lineup. So, remarkably, actually, it was quite incredible to think about how long that lineup's together. It's phenomenal yeah. I, I think that um, basically it was I should just looked it up 23 years they were together wow really that lineup was together for 23 years that's so uh, that in, is in terms amazing of motorhead long, history motorhead were around for what 40 years more than half the time it's that lineup that's amazing because i still remember the first time i saw mickey d had joined motorhead and i was like oh look where look where king diamond's old drummers turned up yeah <laughs> yeah but it is 23 years that lineup was together wow that is amazing that is amazing. Well, on, on that incredible fact, I am. Uh, I'm going to thank you very much um, for your time. Uh, Any time. Thank you Great very much, Malcolm. You. Really appreciate it, mate. Uh, Any time, sir. Take All care. Right, you take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. 
And you know what's coming. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I did doing it. It's always good to catch up with Malcolm. Amazing stories, the bands he's seen, the people he's met. It really is just absolutely mind-bending. Um, and I, I love doing these podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. The feedback we're getting is fantastic. Uh, please do, as I said earlier, share the podcast. Share the motorhead love, the motor love, if you will. Please let people know about it and make sure that you have subscribed yourself. I'm really digging doing these and I hope you're enjoying listening to them. There's plenty to get through. If you're new to the Motorcast, go and subscribe and you'll get loads of episodes you haven't heard yet. If you're a regular listener, thanks again for being there. Thanks again for being there every fortnight to listen to these interviews that are so much fun to do. Keeping the the name, the legacy of Motorhead alive and make sure you get to imotorhead.com and get more information about the 40th anniversary No Sleep Till Hammersmith releases because they are pretty, pretty special, just like that album. And it totally deserves the beautiful job it's had done to it. So, guys, it's been a pleasure, and I will speak to you again in two weeks' time with another Motorcast episode. I don't show you greed. The only God I need is the Ace of Spades. The Ace of Spades.